Thank you for checking out the Warehouse Church Podcast. We would love to connect with you. Take a moment and visit us at warehousechurch.com. Wherever you are, we hope this message encourages you today. Now, here's Pastor Ed. Good morning. Everybody say hi to Veronica real quick. Could you say hi to Veronica real quick up there? (laughs) Good to see you this morning, church. Everybody doing all right today? All right, let's try that again. Good morning. Good to see you in the house today. Hope you had a great weekend. Love this cooler weather this morning. Just nice putting a long sleeve shirt on, isn't it? I was talking to a uh, uh, sweet lady that walked in this morning, and she was telling me about the, she likes the sweatshirts, the hoodies, and I said, I like the sweatshirts and the hoodies because it covers a lot of sin. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if you're like that, but I sure am. I'm glad you're here this morning. We're starting a new series today that's called this, We Don't Care. And that sounds really like, wow, is that the kind of church I want to go to? Well, I hope by the end of this series you'll not only celebrate what we're talking about, but you will add these values uh, to your life in the way, uh, the, the way that we feel about people. Um, this week, a, a young man from our youth department from years ago, he's in his mid-30s now, uh, reached out and said hi, and we were talking to him a little bit. He was, we were kind of reminiscing of some, some stories and some camp stories. You learn a lot about people when you take a road trip with them. Uh, we, t- we used to take long trips together and uh, camps and um, just missions trips and all those kind of things. And boy, those car rides were just very uh, full of uh, many revelations. Uh, you know, you'd learn a lot of things about, about your kids, and it's kind of funny as a student pastor, you tend to learn more about teenagers than even parents care to know about their own kids sometimes. We would uh, talk to, to parents about things that were going on, and they'd say, ah, don't tell me everything. I don't want to know everything, you know. Innocence is bliss. But one of the things that our guys used to do, and I'm not very proud of this, but it's kind of a funny memory that I have. <clears throat> they would do these things when, it was, when, we, when, we, when we would have a guy's van, and they would call it a burn session. And the burn session was comprised of everybody just kind of making fun of each other. And then it went to a whole different level. When you didn't have anything else to say, you could always fall back on a mom joke. You know what I'm saying? Now listen, I'm not advocating this. I'm talking about past. I'm I'm confessing it to you this morning, okay? So don't hate me. I love my mom. I love my sweet wife. My sweet daughter, Kelsey, who was singing this morning, mother of our first grandchild, is going to be having our second grandchild tomorrow at 12 o'clock. She's having a C-section tomorrow. So uh, be praying for her, if you will, and you'll see pictures. There'll be one or several thousand pictures on Facebook tomorrow when the baby comes into our life. But uh, the guys used to do this, these mom jokes, and they, they got really kind of funny. Mom jokes like this. Hey, your mom wears combat boots in the shower. That's, that's a little funny, isn't it? No? A tiny bit funny? It's just dumb guy humor, okay? That's all it is. But yeah, I was reading a passage in Scripture this week that you could actually use as a mom joke. And this is going to sound terribly sacrilegious, but please hear everything I'm going to say about Jesus, about one of Jesus' grandmoms. You say, what in the world are you talking about? In Matthew chapter 1, verse number 1, it gives us the record of Jesus the Messiah, of his ancestors, who was a descendant of Abraham or David and Abraham, in verse number 5 it says this, uh, Salmon, and this goes all through his genealogy, and you know sometimes if you're reading in scripture and you get in Genesis chapter 5 and Genesis chapter 10 and then in Numbers and, and different books of the Bible where they go through all these names and genealogies, they kind of get kind of boring, you wonder why they're there. The, the genealogy of Jesus is a very, very uh, significant genealogy and it's a great study to do. Well, the Bible tells us here in verse number 5, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. That's pretty significant because we're going to talk about Rahab today. Uh, If you go back, if you have your Bible with you, you can turn there with me to Joshua uh, chapter 2. The the verses will be up on the screen too. But this is a pretty interesting story about this lady. Uh, You know, and and in the Bible, your name or what you were was kind of part of your name. You have Matthew, the tax collector, Peter, the... Or, or fishermen, right, his, his trade, he was known as Peter the fisherman. Uh, different people were known by what they did. Saul was a Pharisee. Uh, Jesus was a carpenter, right? Well, listen to the story about this lady whose name was Rahab. 
in Joshua chapter 2. And I'm going to read a chunk of, of this scripture, so follow along with me if you can. Uh, Joshua <clears throat> secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at uh, Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to a house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab. Now, uh, the Bible says, and they stayed there that night. Uh, can I just say this to you? I'm not advocating. I would, I would strongly recommend that you not spend the night at a woman's house who was known as the, as the neighborhood prostitute. Okay, that's good stuff, right? That's just good biblical teaching right there. You guys are looking at me like, where are you going with this today? Just hang in there with me, okay? This is out of the B-I-B-L-E, okay? So this is, this is, this is great stuff. Um, verse number two, it says, someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who've come to stay at your house. Now, not to be disrespectful, but Rahab the prostitute's house probably had different guys going in and out of it all the time. Is it okay to draw that conclusion without going into the nether regions of this conversation, okay? So this was a pretty normal thing, and the king sent word to Rahab, hey, there's a bunch of guys coming in and out of your house, I want to know what's going on, who are they? And then, and then the Bible tells us Rahab hid the men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I don't know where they're from. Uh, they left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you could catch up with them. Actually, she had taken them up to the roof, hidden them beneath bundles of flax that she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies uh, along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up to the roof to talk to them. And she said, I know that the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We're all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror, for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has, have, no one has courage to fight after hearing such things. And this is a great verse. Uh, it says... For the Lord your God is the supreme God of heavens uh, above, the, above and, the, uh, and the earth below. So she declared, she understood who God was. She, as a kind of current status of maybe non-believer, knew exactly who she was dealing with. You know, she recognized, she made a declaration acknowledging who the God of the universe was. Verse number 12, now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I've helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, she believed God was going to do what he was going to do in Jericho even before the children of Israel did. A non-believer. Isn't that amazing? Uh, it kind of reminds me of the passage of Scripture where the Bible teaches us that, uh, that, that, that the devils, when they hear the name of Jesus, even they tremble. They believe. They're not followers of God, but they even tremble at the name of Jesus. Um, swear to me, verse 12, by the, by, that you will help. And be kind to my family since I've helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, <coughs> you will let me live. Along with my father, mother, my brothers and sisters, and all their families. We will offer up our lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord grants us this land. Then, since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them slip down by a rope through the window. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days for the men searching for you. Then when you have returned, you can go your own way. But before they left, the men told her, we will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, uh, you must leave a scarlet rope hanging from the window, which you let us down. And all of your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all of your relatives must be inside the house. If they go out into the street and they're killed, it won't be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on the people inside of this house... We will accept the responsibility for their death. If you, if you betray us, however, we are not bound by this oath in any way. I accept your terms, she replied. And she sent them away, leaving a scarlet rope hanging from her window. Now, this is amazing. This woman, who was a prostitute, um, prostitution is kind of known as the oldest profession. I'm, I'm sure every uh, person in here understands uh, what that means. And, you know, we kind of have an opinion um, 
of what we think when we hear the word prostitute or hooker or something like that. Um, a few years ago, my opinion of, uh, of people that choose that profession kind of changed a little bit. Uh, some people from our church were with us. We went and visited this lady uh, when we were in Guatemala. <clears throat> this lady um, who was, I think she was, she was from Ecuador, if I'm not mistaken. And you could tell because she looked a little bit different than Guatemalan people. Her eyes were blue, her skin and her face structure was a little bit different. She was very, very ill. And, and we were visiting with her, and Andrew even, our, our man of missionary, was with us. And she had, tuber she had tuberculosis. And, you know, going into her house, we were instructed not to touch some things or to wear something over our mouth and some things like that. But she had eight kids that, that, that she had birthed herself. Of those eight kids, I think three, if not four dads, were representatives uh, in, that, in that situation. She was raising them all by herself, and she was very ill. So we took groceries to her house, and then once we took groceries, she asked us why we were bringing groceries there. And we were able to tell her about Jesus, and she asked Jesus into her heart to be her Savior that day. She said, how can you come into a house like mine? How can you come? To, you don't know what kind of person that I am. And Andrew, who was talking to her, of course, in Spanish, and we, we could understand some of it, but we had an interpreter there helping us understand the whole dialogue. Uh, she said things of, of uh, phrases in her uh, tone of, of feeling unworthy. Um, she was very, very embarrassed. Uh, Andrew was very kind when he told us what her occupation was and explained it to us even better when we stepped out of her house. But, but this is kind of what, the, this was the summary of what she said. She said, this is the only thing I could do to bring money into my house to feed my kids. I've never been in that kind of a situation in my life uh, where I've been desperate to that measure. And I've had some hard times, uh, just like everybody else has to a certain degree. But I think it's fair to say that hard times in the United States of America are much different than hard times in third world countries. And I'm not belittling anything anybody in this room has gone through in your life. If you've gone through just crazy hell in your life, then, then I'm sorry for that. And I'm, and I'm not disrespecting because I don't know everybody's life situation. But generally speaking, I think it's fair to say most Americans don't understand hard living. Is that, is that okay to say that? Uh, because of, of, of the land of plenty that we live in. This lady came across to us and she said uh, things of unworthiness and brokenness and embarrassment. Uh, you read the story of, of Rahab. It continues in, in Joshua chapter 6. The men kept their promise. In verse number 22, uh, God's word tells us this story. It says, meanwhile, and, and a lot's happened. Uh, Joshua told the children of Israel, sanctify yourselves. Tomorrow God's going to do a great work among you. This is how you're going to defeat Jericho. You're going to march around the city one time, six days in a row. And on that last day, you're going to go around that city seven times, blowing horns, clanging cymbals, and noisemakers, and all that kind of stuff. And if you've been in church for any amount of time, you know the story. Uh, the walls came what? They came tumbling down, right? And, and, and they defeated Jericho that day. <clears throat> but there were some people whose lives were spared, and that was Rahab the harlot, Rahab the prostitute, and all of her family, because she gave the spies safe passage. The spies kept their word. And the Bible tells us, verse 22, um, Joshua said to the two spies, keep your promise, go to the prostitute's house, bring her out along with her family. And the men who had spies, the men who had been spies went in, and they brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, and all the other relatives that were with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. Uh, verse 24, then the Israelites burned down the town and everything in it. The only thing they kept were silver, bronze, gold, iron, were kept for the treasury of the Lord's houses. So Joshua spared Rahab the prostitutes and her relatives who were with her in the house because she hid the spies uh, that came into Jericho. And this is really cool. Look at this last part of this verse in verse 25. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 and 5. This one begat that one. This one begat that one. This one begat that one. Going through the line of Jesus. And one of his great, 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 like 22nd times, grandmother was a prostitute. I think it's fascinating how in the lineage of our sinless Savior, Jesus Christ, one of his ancestors was a prostitute. 
You could do a whole study and all the names that are in there. Another guy was a murderer, David, King David, right? David was a murderer. David was also an adulterer. David also did some other things where he sinned uh, egregiously against uh, God's commands, but God used him. And, and I'm not making an excuse for my sin or for anybody else's sin because I really want to talk about Rahab today. And she was clearly identified for exactly who she was. And I find this very interesting that when the guys were hiding and looking for safe passage and they met Rahab the harlot or Rahab the prostitute, they didn't say to her, hey, do you go to church on Sunday? We really can't stay in the house of somebody that, that doesn't have some kind of religious affiliation. Or are you part of this club? Or are you the same color as us? Or do you have at least some values that we have in common? These men were desperate. They needed help. This lady helped them, and they accepted her help. And because she helped men who were carrying out God's mission, God blessed her life. And the Bible doesn't say at any time in that story, and we'll read a couple other verses in this study today, uh, where it says, Whithersoever before they usest Rahab to deliver the goods of the blah, 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 King James, King James, King James, Bible, 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 sound and verses, that Rahab had to change her life before she was used of God. No. Rahab was used of God, and therefore she changed her life. And they accepted Rahab for exactly who she was. No pre-qualifications. No gasping, you know. A uh, few years ago, uh, there's, there's been people that I've met uh, in ministry that have had a really, really big impact on my life. Uh, just like you can say the same thing about, you know, whether you had a great Sunday school teacher, somebody who invited you to church, uh, who was responsible for your salvation, something like that. Maybe somebody that just had a good... Uh, character development in your life that you're really, really thankful. How many of you have somebody like that this morning? Raise your hand up in the air. Just say thank you, God. Just say it. Thank you, God. <laughs> thank you, Gary. Ready? Say it on, on three together. Ready? Say thank you, God. Yeah. Right? For that person in your life that's had a tremendous influence. I had a guy that had an influence on my life for, for other reasons whose name was Phil. Phil was a guy that walked into our church one day in Philadelphia, and we were only there for about two months and, and it was interesting because I, I, most of you know this, I used to ride motorcycles a lot. Uh, my wife told me I'm allowed to buy a motorcycle once we get two more financial goals in our life reached. She's pretty smart because I think those financial goals are going to happen by the time I'm 80. So uh, she's pretty strategic, you know, about that. But I've owned five or six motorcycles, love riding bikes, I really, really do. Uh, if I have to rent one one day, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ride with you, okay? It's just, it's just going to happen. But I really love riding, and, and this dude comes into church, and it was like um, it, it was like the whole church stopped when this motorcycle dude walked into our church. He had black boots, black pants, black shirt, black vest, black hat. He had a black uh, scarf that was like one of those skiing scarves that you just put on, like a snuggie scarf. I don't know what it's called, and black sunglasses. And I'm telling you. When this dude walked into our church, he should have had some entrance music from George Thorogood called Bad to the Bone. You know that song? Bad, bad to the bone. You know, he was just bad to the bone. He just comes walking in. And you know why he had so much of his body covered up like that? Because he had a lot of tattoos. But he didn't just have tattoos on his neck. He had, he had teardrops tattoos coming out of your eye. Now, I, I know what I've heard about teardrop tattoos. And... Later on, when, as we got to become friends, I asked him what they meant. And he said, they mean exactly what you think they meant. He killed three or four guys when he was in prison. Uh, he killed somebody to go into prison, but something happened with his, when he was convicted, where something wrong happened with, with the way he was handled, and he got set out free. But while he was in jail for those two or three years, uh, before he was set free, he killed a couple people. So this dude, I mean, he was scary too. He looked like what you thought he was. He, he really was. And he come into church one day, and I'm telling you, I had people come up to me. Pastor, you got to see this guy that's coming to our church. He's a mass murderer. He's a this, he's a this. He's got teardrops in his eye. He's really scary. I went and said hi to him, and he just kind of grunted. What should we do? What should we do? I said, you know what? I'm going to go talk to him. This little lady in our church who had a voice like one of Marge Simpson's sisters now, some of you know what that means. Some of you don't. 
she was, a, she was the Marlboro woman. She probably smoked five packs of cigarettes a day for 30 years. And her voice sounded like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> you know, that kind of a thing. So she just went right up to this guy. She was just kind of one of these ladies that just didn't care. Doesn't care if people think about her. She was just bold enough to walk right up to this dude, talk to him. She said, hey, come sit next to me in church. He said, you know, I'm not really comfortable. I got a bad back. If you don't mind, I'm just going to stand in the back, right? So this dude, Phil, is in the back of the auditorium while I'm speaking, doing this. Just walking, right? And I'm the only guy that sees he's doing this. So I'm kind of, at one time he was walking and I tried to keep pace with him, you know, so I could be parallel with him while he was walking. He was a scary dude, you know. And, and I, I remember we, we had just a regular church service and, we, and I was like, got to wrap this thing up tight. I got to go find out what this dude's story is. This is getting, you know, our people are getting kind of weirded out by it. And I, so I gave, uh, I said, um, before I pray, we're going to give some folks an opportunity to invite Jesus Christ to be their personal savior today. Now, if you've been to church, you know what an invitation sounds like, right? Bow your heads. I'll walk through the prayer of salvation with you. People will pray and accept Christ. Other people will pray about other things we're talking about. And it, and it can be a very sweet time for you. But you hear me say many, many times, hey, if you don't mind, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And I'll also say this sometimes. And let's respect the privacy of other people around us. Before I could say that, Phil started walking up the aisle right towards me before we said bow your heads. Do you guys remember this? Before we said bow your heads, before anything else was going to happen, he started walking forward right in the middle of church. And I'm like, Okay, everybody bow your heads right now and close your eyes. We're going to start praying. You know, so, we're going to pray real quick. And that guy stood right there. And I had our music um, person just start playing some music. He said, what should I say? I said, say whatever you want to say. I want to see what's going on with this dude. He came forward and he was weeping. He said, if you will accept me, I'll ask Jesus to be my savior today. If I would accept him. If I, who was a sinner, if I, who had a past, does anybody else in this room have a past? I just want to know if I'm in good company today. If I, I said, buddy, you don't need me to accept you. Jesus loves you just the way that you are. And he brought you to this place today so you could hear what you heard because God loves you so much and he let his son die in your place so that you can have a personal relationship with him. And I'm telling you, right there in front of God and Jesus and everybody in our church, people, listen, and I know you all do this because I've seen you do this. You won't do it today because I mentioned it. You know the one I one open thing during the invitation you all do sometimes? You know what I'm saying. You want to see if I'm telling the truth when I say thank you very much. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. And sometimes, you know, you kind of do one of these things. L listen, I do it too, okay? I'm not hating on you. I'm not hating on you. You can do it with a little scarf or with your hand over your thing or whatever like that. This dude's standing right here. Now, in our church up north, we called them our, our blue hair crew that all sat like in the first three rows. And that was all of our seniors, right, senior ladies. And, and they called themselves that. It wasn't being mean to them. He stood up here. He said, thank you for receiving me. Thank you for what you're going to do. I was so afraid to do this. I'm going to tell you what he said, and I, want you to, I don't want you to be upset with me, but this happened in church. He said, but I was scared shitless. Now, just like that made you go, oh, I can't believe he said that in church, okay? That went back. It was like a shockwave. <laughs> and you heard this, <gasps> like that in church, right? That guy with a pure heart gave his life to Jesus that day. Well, of course, one of our gals came up to him one day. Well, now that you're saved, you got to learn how not to talk like that anymore. You know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he was so apologetic and he was so nice about it, you know. But it was the craziest, I'm telling you, it was just one of those services. That guy had a huge, huge impact on my life for this reason. What if somebody in the parking lot of our church there that day looked at him ugly and he got in his got on his sweet Harley and just rode away. What if when he walked in the door, people took their kids and were like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen here, you know? You know what we, we need to learn not to do, church, is care about the wrong things. We care about the wrong things sometimes, you know? We care what people, before we talk to them, 
Why do you think racism exists? You know what, you know what the basis of racism is? It's fear. Because we're afraid that somebody who's different than us is not going to treat us the way that we're being used to. We're afraid of their background. We're afraid of the way that they talk. And here's what else we're afraid of. We're afraid of things that we heard from other people that might not even necessarily be true. We've got to stop caring about the wrong things. And, and listen to what happened. Uh, this is how I, I want to encourage you this morning to practice not caring. Uh, practice not caring. If you're going to practice not caring about those people, if you're going to practice about not caring about the baggage that other people have in their life. If you're going to practice not caring that your next door neighbor uh, messed up and has a moral failure. Or somebody you work with is homosexual. Or somebody you know has big neck tattoos. Or somebody you know uh, is struggling with transgender stuff. And, and, And here's what Christians say when they're approached by all this stuff. You know what they say? Well, you know this world is really, really evil. And this, this, and this. And we forget we are no different than anybody else. We do. And you know how I know that's true? Because of the way that we look at people and talk to people and react when we're around those people. We get freaked out by it. So how can I in my life, Ed Trinkle, how can you in your life practice not caring? Now let me say this to you. I said what I said earlier about Phil, repeating Phil. I said it on purpose and I want you to understand, please forgive me if you felt like I disrespected you. I don't curse normally. If you ask my daughters who the cursor is in our family, it's my wife. There's no two ways about it. It's a little family joke we have, okay? But wouldn't it be a shame if that's the only thing you remembered about the service today? God knows my heart. I prayed and asked him if I could say that this morning. He said, yeah, just don't say it twice. So I'm not going to say it twice, okay? But we're so, you know what Christians are really have your reputation, have a reputation of being known by what we're offended by and not what we love. We mark ourselves with that stuff, you know. And, and people come in wondering if we're offended by them. We've had many, many lesbians come into church and ask us, would you let us come to your church? Well, yes, you're here. Will you let us stay? Yes, you could stay. You know what God didn't call me to do? Change lesbians and change homosexuals' lifestyles. He didn't call me to do that. You know what he called me to do? Introduce them to the one that can. That's all he told me to do. Tell them about Jesus and love them. And you know what? Those people are pretty hard to love. But you know what? When you look in the mirror sometimes, if you really have an honest moment with yourself, you're also those people. So is this guy right here. I'm hard to love for some. I know I am. So how do we practice not caring? Here's the first thing. Number one, we've got to understand our own depravity. What does depravity mean? Romans 3.23 says this, for everybody has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. There's not a person that's ever been on this earth perfect except for three people. Jesus and Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve were only perfect for a very short time, then they messed up. But they knew what perfect living was for a short period of time. We have to understand our own depravity. And here's a great way to understand our own depravity. Listen to these verses out of Proverbs chapter 6. Because here's here's what Christians tend to do sometimes. We laugh at obesity. We laugh at white lies. We laugh at mistakes. We laugh at things that are like Christian sins or like sins that really aren't that big of a deal because everybody struggles with those things. But we get really caught up in arms about like the big, 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 you know, humongo sins that we that we have this weird christian balance this scale that we have well that sin's really bad that sin's not so bad so i can accept that but i can't accept that one listen to how god talks about sin in proverbs chapter 6 lumps all these things together Uh, verse number 16 it says these six things the lord hates no seven things he detests and then he gives this list (coughs) haughty eyes a lying tongue Right? So, so somebody that's proud or arrogant, haughty eyes, looks down on people. He hates that. Somebody that lies, he hates that. Here's number three. Number three on that list. Hands that kill the innocent. What? You mean, if I look at somebody in a condescending way and then lie about it, that's the same in God's eyes as somebody that murders somebody that's innocent? 
That's crazy. A heart that plots evil. Feet that race to do wrong. <clears throat> or if you're my size, walk slowly. That was a little funny. A false witness that lies. Here's another one. Here's one of the things that God hates. Someone who sows discord in a family. We could talk about that for a long time. In our own family, you, Thanksgiving's coming up in the next few weeks. Some of you are looking forward to it. Some of you are not looking forward to it because you have family members that sow discord in your family. They just they say that thing you shouldn't say. They'll say to your to, to one of the ladies that come into the Thanksgiving meal or, or, or one of their relatives, man, you've really put on some weight last time since I saw you. You know, that kind of a thing. Or, man, what's wrong with you? Are you not healthy because you don't look so good? Or, 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 or they're gossip or they say ugly things. But I also find it's very interesting that the Bible here in Proverbs chapter 6 says that God hates it when people sow discord in a family. And in the New Testament, he calls the church a family. So I think it's fair to say that God hates it when people sow discord in a church, right? And what does sowing discord in a church look like? That's when we talk bad about each other. That's when you talk bad about me or anybody that's a leader in our church, you know. And then you give the bless your heart or in Jesus' name or if I were the pastor. Listen, if you want it, you can have it. It's all yours. We'll give you the whole package that comes with it. If you can do a better job, I want you to have it, you know. But here's, and I'm not, I don't feel that that exists in our church today. But I'll say this to you. We've got to protect the unity of this body because Satan hates what God loves and God loves this church. <clears throat> That's another day, another time, another message. That's all I have to say about that as far as Gump would say. But these six things the Lord hates. So what does understanding our own depravity mean? Well, it really simply means this. I, Ed Trinkle, am not better than anybody else. I understand. Now, I understand that Grayson may struggle with things differently than I struggle with, and Gary may struggle with different things than I struggle with, and Daniel may struggle with different things that I struggle with, and Joe has many, 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 many struggles that he has in his life <laughs> that I may not struggle with. But here, here's, here's what happens when, when we have a judgmental attitude or like those six things that God hates, our prideful or whatever. When we look at Joe's struggles and look down on him and try to elevate ourselves in the same, well, I don't struggle with that stuff. I'm not that bad. You know, I know I lie once in a while. I know I do this. I know I might not be generous or I might not do this. If you just have that real honest moment with yourself. And, and you know, I think what the problem is with a, lot of, with a lot of people today, they have a hard time being honest with themselves and giving themselves an honest assessment. I really do. We kind of think of ourselves a lot highly. The Bible says this, than we ought to think. Jesus is great, 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 great. 32 times grandmom was a prostitute. She's a prostitute. And I know we probably don't have anybody that's a prostitute in here this morning. And if we do, I want to tell you something. We love you and you're welcome in this church. Somebody else say amen to that. Right? We might not understand that. I might not understand your life circumstances. I might not understand anything that's happened in your life. But I do know this. God loves you and God will change you if you allow him to. But that's not my job. My job is to love you. I've got to understand my own depravity. Number two. Uh, it's, 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 if you're going to practice not caring about other people's problems, then you need to let the light that shines expose your darkness first. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light for my path. Psalm 119, 11, these are great verses to memorize. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Somebody asked me, how many of you do... Um, the, the Bible reading program that I talk about all the time, you version. Raise your hand up in the air. Uh, if you don't, could I invite you to do that? And if you do kind of go through the prompts on that, uh, invite me to be your friend, and, and I'll check in on you once in a while. You check in on me. Uh, somebody asked me the other day, why do you do the Bible program reading that you do? What, what, what is it that caused you to pick that particular reading program that you're in? And here's what I said to him. I need it. I'm not trying to prove anything to anybody else. You know what I need in my life? More Bible. I need more Bible. I need more Jesus. I need more exposure to God's truth. Somebody said this to me one time. The more that you read the, the Bible, the more that you'll understand the mind of God. I don't understand the mind of God yet. I'm trying to. But I know that I need it more. And until I really, really understand. You know, and you know what? I'm going to get a full understanding. It's going to be my big aha moment. And that's the day that I see Jesus face to face. And I'm like, ah, okay, I get it now. 
And I'll have a lot of things to say I'm sorry for, amen, just like you will. But you, you've got to let the light expose your darkness first. And here's what that means. If you're in a church service or if you hear a message and you hear something that's said by me or it's a podcast you listen to or another church that you visited or another quote that somebody put on Facebook that somebody else's church said, don't think in your mind, oh, i got to send that to John and Pam LaRue because they really need that. Because it's not my job to expose John and Pam LaRue's sin. It's my job to love them and let God do what God does. I'm not a Holy Spirit. That's not my job. That's not your job. So we've got to let the light expose our darkness first. Number three, the more we share about ourselves, the more we understand that we're not alone. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Um, one of my friends in this church yesterday, and I went to a movie yesterday, my friend Richard, and we went and saw whatever movie we saw. Um, I think it was the Lego movie or something. I don't know. Whatever movie we saw, we saw. I'm just kidding. We didn't see the Lego movie. But um, uh, before the movie, we had some pretty candid conversation. I, he said, what's going on? Because I had a look on my face. I said, I'm, I'm just, I've just had a bad day. Had a stinking bad day. Had a contractor come to my house yesterday. Did something I told him not to do. I got really upset about it. And I was telling Richard, I said, man. I was just so mad about that because I looked at this dude face to face, was plain and clear and kind and Christian-ish and all that kind of stuff, and he still did what I told him not to do. I mean, even when I'm telling him the story, I could just feel the, the, the body temperature in, in my gargantuan body just raise up. I just, feel, I just felt it happening, you know, and I got mad about it all over again. And he and I were talking about it. You know what he said to me? Yeah, the same thing happened to me this week. I got really mad at this guy who's doing something in our house. And you know what I had to do? Do you mind me telling this? It's too late. Okay. <laughs> he said, I had to go back and apologize to him. I was like, <sighs> you know what I wanted him to say? Yeah, aren't they jerks? You know, you were right. Let's band against these rotten, you know, this or that. He said, yeah, I had to apologize to him. You know, I just, I just got madder than I should have. And I was like, oh, that was me. I need to go say I'm sorry to this dude, you know. But you know how that, you know why that helped me? Because I allowed myself to become vulnerable with somebody else that I trust. I hope you still trust me, okay. But sometimes, you know, we, you know what we're afraid of? You know what we're afraid of as Christians? We're afraid to let other Christians know that we're human beings. If you walk in my house uh, during a day of the week, I... I wear mesh shorts and I wear sleeveless t-shirts. And I was going to do it today, but it's, I'm not, I don't really have the body to wear, walk around with sleeveless t-shirts in church. But I have some tattoos on my arms. I do. And, and I got heat from that from some people. How, what kind of example do you think that is to our kids? I said, you know what? Let me just tell you this. If, if the biggest problem you ever have in your life is your kids getting tattoos, you're a pretty good parent. That's no, that's no big deal. But if it's a big deal to you, you pour that value into them. I'm not against that. That's why I'm wearing long sleeve shirts because I don't want to explain my tattoos every week. And there's only like a couple of them. And one's even a Bible verse, okay? So it's not that bad, you know? It's not like a naked lady on the side of my arm that I can't show, you know? Something like that. But you know what you'll see when you come into our house? The people that live in my house are very, very real and they're very human, you know? Uh, sometimes I say things I shouldn't say. Sometimes I get mad at my wife about stuff, and maybe I don't respond the way that I should all the time. That happens in my house. Because, and I try to be better. I really do. I'm, 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 I think I'm pretty good at apologizing because I do it so much. You know, does anybody, ever, does anybody else feel that way? Man, I could give great I'm sorry's because, man, I, that just, it just, I just have to say it all the time. That's me. I just have, honey, I'm, I had to say I was sorry to her yesterday for something I said. It wasn't cussing, okay, but I just, you know, I shouldn't have said that, honey. I'm, I'm sorry about it. And, and I'm not doing this big confession time with you to make you think anything less or more of me. But, man, sometimes, church, we have got to learn just how to be real. It's good for people to know that, that you have struggles with stuff. That, that's what's so special about, about living in a community, in a life group together, because you're able to share some things. And you know what you realize when you're in a life group with other people? 
and, and you start sharing with things, people walk away going, wow, I would have had no idea that he or she struggles with that. Hey, honey, guess what? We're normal too. We're normal too. Pastor Ed's normal. I, don't, I, don't even, I feel embarrassed even to say Pastor Ed. Ed Trinkle's just a normal guy with struggles like every other guy in this room has. I surrender him to the Lord. I wake up thinking about it. I confess my sins to the Lord every single day as the Holy Spirit brings them into my life. But I think God allows that in my life for this reason. So I don't think myself highly than other people that I know. God just has this way. And the Bible says this, humble yourself in the eyes of the Lord and he will lift you up. Here's the problem in modern day Christianity. We're really good at lifting ourselves up but not lifting up the name of Jesus. I'm good at this. I know all this music. I have a Christian bumper sticker on my car. I've got Joshua 24, 15 placard on the wall of my house. My family only watches uh, Christian TNT or whatever the channel is, television. We don't smoke. We don't drink. We don't cuss. We would never <gasps> get a tattoo. We would never do any of that stuff because we're better, we're better, we're better, we're better. When the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and what? Desperately wicked. Now, I'm not accusing anybody in this room of being wicked, okay? I'm not doing that. But what I'm saying is the depravity that's in the world is in you too. And the only difference is, is that you, maybe as a Christian, have accepted Christ's love and Christ's forgiveness. That doesn't elevate us. You know what that should do in your life? It should elevate him. It should elevate him. Let me get through this so we can be done this morning. Let the light expose your darkness. The more we share about ourselves, the more that we understand that we're not alone. Number four, this place, this organism, this living organism called the church is meant to be a place of prayer, healing, and restoration. Luke 4.18, Jesus said this about himself, which was a fulfillment of prophecy from the book of Isaiah. Jesus said about himself, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. And every single one of those verses not only talk about, or that verse, every single one of those points, it's not only literally talking about the poor, people that, don't, that, that have very little, or captives being literal prisoners, or literal blind people, or people literally oppressed. It's also talking about people that are poor in Christ or poor in the spirit. It's also talking about people that are captives of their own sin and struggle with alcoholism or, 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 or some kind of addiction or, or, or some kind of lifestyle that they're having a hard time breaking free of. We become prisoners to our own sin. The blind, we're blind until we know Jesus Christ. And the oppressed, we're all oppressed by Satan and he's trying to get us to mess up every single day. So you know who Jesus came for? He came for everybody. He came for everybody. So here's the principle I want you to leave with this morning. God used Jesus' 32nd great-grandmom. She's even mentioned in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, it says this in verse 31. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute. This is, this is the grace place, New Testament. And it still calls her by what she was. Man, couldn't this woman shake that name, you know, uh, a couple of my girls, when they got married, they said, Dad, my last name is not going to be Trinkle anymore. And as much as we're sorry that we're not carrying your name anymore, it's kind of cool that we're not going to have the name Trinkle. That's a weird name. You know, you can just imagine all the great poems people told about us in high school. Um, I still get mail that says Mr. Tinkle on it. And I said, not yet. I'm not 70 yet. I'm not Mr. Tinkle yet, so... It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute. Can a sister get a better name than that, please? Hebrews 11.31. It was by faith that Rahab the, the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God. For she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. You know what she did? She obeyed God. So here's when God's going to use you real quickly. Ready? Four things. I'm going to read it and we're going to pray. God will use you to stop caring about the wrong things. God will use you to stop caring when you are number one humble. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Just remember this. What does humility mean? Very simply, I'm not better than anybody else. 
That's all that means. Listen, if you have a great house, awesome. You ought to be hosting a life group at it, just for the record. But if you have a great house, praise the Lord that God's blessed you. If you have a nice car, I've got a nice car. I wash my car every single week, and I buy the car wash that gets a free car wash five days later, so I can get two car washes a week. That's what I do, Jeff, just, just like you do, right? But you know what that means? Those are just tools that God allows us to have. It's just stuff. You know, my, my friend Nick, who's a Texas text boy, shoot him up, Nick over here, told me about his mom and his sister at his mother's house with his mom and dad, right? They live in North, they live in North California, and yesterday... They had to jump in their truck because the sister who was there with the baby got up in the middle of the night and needed food. And the fires that we're watching on TV right now came down. They had to jump in their truck and blast through the front gate of their house. And within minutes or hours, the house was consumed and gone just like that. Stuff is stuff. It doesn't last. And I said, my gosh, Northern California, expensive house. He says, they're okay. They're okay. They have insurance. They're going to be fine. Maybe it's time for them to move to Texas, and we just said amen to that, right? But your stuff is just stuff, and it's just stuff that God lets you to have to use for his glory. God will use you when you're humble. Number two, God will use you when you're willing. Very simply, in Isaiah chapter 6, and verse number 8, the Lord said, who should I send as a messenger to these people? Who's going to go for us? Speaking of the plurality of God, great, great passage. And Isaiah said this simply to God, I'll do it, send me. I'll go tell those weird people. I'll go tell those tattoo-y people. I'll go tell the homosexuals. I'll go tell the lesbians. I'll go tell the racists. I'll go tell the transgenders. I'll go tell my new Indian neighbors. I'll go tell my new Muslim neighbors. I'll go tell people that are different than me. I'll go tell the black guy that lives down the street from me. I'll do it, Lord, send me. You've got to be willing to do it. You've got to be willing to do it. Number three, God will use you to, if you're willing to not care about the wrong thing, number three, this is a big deal if you're not judgmental. You know, it's easy for us to do that. It's easy for us to talk condescending about other people's lives. Christians have this weird reputation of just knowing what other people do wrong. <gasps> Did you hear? Did you hear? You know, non-judgmental living means in Matthew 7, 1 and 2, don't judge others or you're going to be judged for you will be treated as the way that you treat others. The standard you're using in judging is the standard by which you're going to be judged. 2 Corinthians, this is, this is such a powerful, powerful passage. It says, uh, don't worry, uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 10, 12, don't worry, we wouldn't, say, we wouldn't dare say that we're as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are. But they are only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as the standard of measurement. And then Paul says this, how ignorant is that? Here's what he's saying. Gary, that's, Gary, come on up here for a second. Man, I wish I had Gary's hair. But anyway, when I look at Gary's life and I say, man, Gary, you're not tall enough. My standard of saying that is saying it from this point of view. Because I am taller. I'm the right height. And if you want to be the right height, you need to be as tall as me. You know what that is? That's condescending and that's judgmental. He doesn't need to be like me because I'm tall. He needs to be like me because in 1 Corinthians 11, verse number 1, I'm living the verse that says, follow me, comma, as I'm following Christ. That just doesn't mean get in line and march like Christian soldiers. Ding, 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 we're Christians. Here's what it means. Following means living. I'm living like Jesus, so live like me. That's hard to do. I try it every day, and sometimes I fail. But we're called to live like Jesus and then tell people to live like him. Number four, we've got to learn. This is probably the hardest one. We've got to learn to love everyone. You know who we need to love? You ready for this? People that have different political views than us. Let's have a political rally this morning. Let's take a vote to see who voted for who. Not going to do that. Not doing it, not doing it, not doing it, right? Talk about bringing dissension out in the church. We've got to love people who have different views than us. And our view is not always right. There are other things of morality other than abortion, marriage stuff. There's other things of morality besides those big things that we get all upset about, right? I'm not saying, I'm not saying those aren't important issues. But what I'm saying is, 
when God told us to be separate from the world, he didn't mean separate yourself from all people. Because if you separate yourself from everybody that has sin, you're going to sit in an isolation box the rest of your life. We've got to learn to love everyone. Mark 12 said that. Verse number 30. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And Christian people go, amen, i got to love God, i got to love God, i got to love God. Amen, amen, amen. Let's sing praises to him. Let's, know, you know, let's do all that. We all agree with that. And then it's the secondly is equally as important as we love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. As important as it is for me to love God, it's equally that important for me to love you. And listen, it's easy to love Christians. Man, this, this one, two, three, fourth row, these three pretty ladies that are sitting there, they all walked in. They said, good morning, and they all gave me a hug. I love that. I love coming to church and people loving on me. Don't you just love that when people just kind of, and sometimes that may be the best thing to happen to you on a church on a Sunday is somebody was kind and loved on you. And that's good stuff. But it's easy to love Christians. It's easy because we share some of the same values. We watch the same TV shows. We have the same radio presets on our cars. That's easy to do. But man, it's hard to love somebody that's different. You know I want to tell you? That person you're sitting next to that you think you're alike, you're probably more different than, than you know. And they represent everybody in your community, everybody your kids go to school with, everybody you work with, all the crazy junk you hear on TV that makes you mad. God says we're supposed to love everybody. Let me say this last sentence and let's pray. Let's stop caring about the wrong stuff. Jesus is great, 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 great. Grandmom was a prostitute. And I'm no better than Rahab the harlot. And neither of any of us. Amen. 